If you, again, are with us online, we want to welcome you. If this is your first time, we're so excited that you're here and hope that you feel uh, just a part. We're just all people on a journey together, um, endeavoring to uh, see what God has in store for us, our life. We're in a series right now, and uh, he mentioned K-State, I mean, KU and K-State, so everyone should be pretty well happy today um, in that way in the state of Kansas, but we are so uh, so glad to be in this series that uh, Pastor Nate got off to our second week. I gave an introduction a few weeks ago, but we're, we've entitled this Vintage Faith, and I thought long and hard, there's an illustration, that opening illustration I'm going to use next week that I was going to use this week because something kind of came along, and then I started really getting antsy and a little bit nervous about this and started thinking, you know, if I use this ser- sermon illustration or as an opening illustration, I might lose about 95% of you from listening to the rest of it. And so th- that fear a little bit took me away. But I thought at the same time, it's, it's kind of okay. It is kind of good. So please don't, don't, don't take this personally or offensive in that way. It's a Denver Broncos illustration. And so it has to do with Russell Wilson. And so we're equal opportunity offenders here in this church. And so anyway, um, you guys beating up on us the last six years has been very offensive. So um, anyway, we, we got hope this year. We started getting hope about having a vintage Broncos team. And Russell Wilson came along and we were like excited about it. And then after about three games, we haven't been as excited about it. And uh, this last Sunday night, um, it was a defensive struggle, and the very end of the game, uh, Russell Wilson actually led the Broncos down to a winning score. Well, you guys don't read the Denver Post like I read the Denver Post, but the headline in the paper was Vintage Wilson. And I thought, that's perfect. That's the message series. That's what we're on right now is we're talking about vintage. And what they were saying was, he looked like the old Russell Wilson. He looked like, and what is vintage? We, we, we gave the definition a couple weeks ago of what vintage is. Vintage is a time something of quality was produced. A time something of quality was produced. Now, I remember the quality of Russell Wilson that spanked the Broncos in Super Bowl 48. And so that was, that was not real good memories for me, but it was a time that he was, he was so productive, and we're hoping for that again. But it's really not sports or anything else. It's what we want in our faith. We want to have a vintage faith. And I think even if you're here, you're watching online, or, or maybe you're not even sure why you're here, I think you still have the same deep down desire. I don't think you're here for any other reason is you want your life to be better. Uh, You want your life to have contentment and happiness and meaning and purpose. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. In fact, I believe that we all share that in common. No matter where we are on our journey, whether we believe in God, don't believe in God, wherever you are with Jesus, where you're not with Jesus, I believe that you're here or you're watching because you want something of quality in your life. You want something that produces quality. And the goal of this series is to produce a quality spiritual life or a, a godly life because we believe a quality spiritual life produces the best life, produces a great life, not a perfect life. No one has a perfect life. No one is um, exempt from hardships and struggles, but a quality life or a happy life or a joyful life or a peace-filled life or whatever you want to call it, we believe is found in a strong spiritual life. All of us are out trying to build something of quality and things that aren't wrong. Some of us are, you know, endeavoring to build a quality business. Some of us are seeking a quality education. 
Some of us are seeking to make a more quality financial standing in our home, in our life with greater securities or physical life. Just want to become stronger and better in that way. And the Apostle Paul approaches the subject with a young Timothy who's a young man who he's mentoring, and he writes this letter to him. And in this letter, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, it says, train yourself. He's saying to a young man, train yourself to be godly, for physical training is of some value. And I think Paul's just using this as an example to a young Timothy who's probably healthy and strong, and he's saying, hey, it's great, but you could put education, business, sports, or whatever else, your vocation, um, you, you could put anything else in there. It wouldn't have to be physical. But for physical training or educational training or business training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, both holding promise both for the present and the future. So the other things, nothing wrong with them. They, they hold value. I mean, you know, having greater financial security holds value. Having a quality education holds value. But spiritual value, value, uh, spiritual value is the thing that has lasting value. To be spiritually strong is something that has lasting value both for the present and the future. Uh, five years ago, Heather and I, uh, we can't believe that we're getting a place where in just a couple of years, both kids will be out of college. Uh, and we're getting used to that empty nester thing. But five years ago, we went on our college, first college visit. And um, one of those visits was at Olivet Nazarene University um, where Reagan and Riley um, went. And the very first stop on their tour, they stop at this eternal flame and right behind it says, education with a Christian purpose. And I know their spiel. I remember it to this day. I remember what they said. They said, hey, we just want you to know this is our first stop on the tour because this is our mission and this is what we're about. And they didn't disparage any other uh, institutions or universities. In fact, they said, you can get a great education in many, many places. There are many places that will provide a great and quality education. We just want you to know that the purpose of our education here is it's an education with a Christian purpose. And then they would say, you know, you don't have to be Christian to go here. Not everyone is Christian that goes here, but we don't apologize for that being our top value and for what we want every student that when they walk out of here, they at least have an idea of what it would be to be a Christian and to follow Jesus. And I begin to think about times in my life. I think all of us feel the ups and downs of life. I mean, we have circumstances, bad news, good news, bad news, good news, wins, losses, successes, financial gains, financial losses. We have, we have a roller coaster that we're on. But what I have found in my life, and I think probably many of you too as well find this, the times that you feel the best, the times that you feel the strongest, the happiest, the most content is when you are spiritually strong. Because spiritually strong doesn't have to do anything with our circumstances. I, I've been watching Heather's mother go through this journey of battling um, cancer. And she just finished her chemo treatments. I appreciate some of you that have asked and getting the results here in a few weeks. I've watched my aunt who came back from China. I don't have time to tell her story today. But, you know, lost her husband. Four hours later spent three, three days in a Chinese prison because they didn't get their uh, visa renewed in time because he was failing in health. And she said, I chose love over the law. 
But I watched both my aunt and I've watched my mother-in-law who actually she would tell you she struggles with pretty high anxiety. She gets nervous about things. Um, But I've watched them through this journey have such a peace. My aunt, when she was in the prison, said, I was not scared. I felt the Lord's presence. I knew that he was with me. It's not based on our circumstances, but we feel spiritually, when we're spiritually strong, it's like we can, we can go through anything, and we can, we can do anything, and we can endure anything when we have a strong spiritual foundation. A couple weeks ago, um, I shared a pastor friend of mine who shared this quote, and it just keeps playing over and over in my mind. As you physically decline, you were meant to become spiritually alive. As you physically decline, you are meant to become spiritually alive. Everything in our life declines. Everything as we get older doesn't get better. Every new car that you buy doesn't get better. It ages and gets worse. Our home without maintenance and repairs, it doesn't get better. It gets worse. Everything declines. This is the one thing that we're meant to actually get better. And as we get older, and the older you get, the better news this is. As we physically decline, we are meant to become spiritually alive. But yet there's this battle waging against this vintage faith and us being spiritually alive. Uh, there's a lot of bad news that just discourages me. And I'm gonna, we're not going to stay on the bad news. We're going to get to the good news. But I think one of the things that we battle today, um, even and especially I would say maybe in the church, is just apathy. Uh, what I would call a spiritual apathy. Not a, we're not a, we're not against God or we're not for God or we're not against the church or we're not, or we're not, we're not opposed, but we just can become apathetic. And when we become apathetic, apathy leads to consequences. And I'm one of those guys that this isn't the message today, but you know, for years and years that you'll hear the church talking about, believe we could be living in the last days. We could be living in the last days. And I'm not here to give a doom and gloom sermon here today, but I will say there's times I believe, we, and we do believe as a church that Jesus is coming back. And we believe it's going to be a glorious day for the church and those who have put their faith in Christ. We believe it's going to be a great day. But I do believe that there's places in Scripture that talks about wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and famines and earthquakes in various places. But maybe the most uh, poignant Scripture that stands out to me in that passage was that says, in the last day, the love of many will grow cold. The love of many will just become doesn't really matter. It's apathetic. And I think there's stats that are showing this already. By the year 2070, Christians will make up less than half of the population in the United States. One third of those being raised Christian right now will choose for themselves when they're of age to be nothing or what we call the nuns. They'll have no religious faith. They'll have no religion. Not just Christian faith, but they'll just choose nothing. And while there's there's that segment, there's 20% of those that are not being raised in a religious home at all, there's 20% that they, they're, they're, they're going to come to Christ, but only 20% of those. So you do that 30% and 20%, and you'll see the intersection that faith is decreasing while lack of faith is on the increase. And I think, and I didn't do the research on this, but I just believe that this has to be a correlation between the rising crime, the, the rate rising of, of anxiety and depression and divorce and, and addiction, substance abuse, suicide. 
It's just in the last few years that suicide has become a greater uh, taker of life than car accidents. I mean, there's, there's a battle, and it's so easy to go through our life and not see this battle and see that there's a battle for our spiritual vitality and for our life because we just kind of get used to it. We kind of get used to the bad news. But if we know that if we knew that we were physically dying or we had a health diagnosis and we, we're going to do whatever it takes. We're going to go to the doctor. We're going to spend the money. We're going to do everything that we can to try to make the situation better. And yet this is such a spiritual apathy and spiritual dying is something that flies underneath the radar. Friends, we're in a world that needs hope. People need hope. You need hope. I need hope. We need hope, and we believe that hope is found in the person of Jesus Christ. We believe it's found in a spiritual vitality that starts with Jesus. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 2.1, the beginning place of all this, and we're going to talk about going from here, but the beginning of this is, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, but because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, thank you, Jesus, for God who is rich in mercy. His mercies are new every day made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Becoming spiritually alive starts and ends with Jesus. It's the beginning point, it's the ending point, it's all about Jesus. In between, in that journey in between, staying spiritually alive, there's uh, it, it is, there, there is a, a something that's dependent on us maintaining that spiritual quality and those spiritual practices. And I, I thought of it this way. Um, you know, our cars and our automobiles, they need gas and they need maintenance. And if they don't get the gas, they don't main, main, be main, they're not maintained, they're, they're not going to run. This last week, um, I was supposed to go to Florida to see my daughter, Reagan, and uh, Tuesday through Friday, you wouldn't even know when I was missing, you know, because pastors just work on Sunday. Um, so you wouldn't even know, and that's just a joke for anybody that didn't get that, by the way. So um, anyway, uh, we're supposed to go see her. Canceled that because my flight was scheduled to come into Tuesday into Tampa. That's what was supposed to be hit the hardest. And we were telling Reagan, you got to get out of there. You got to get out of there. You got to get out of there. And she was like, everyone's saying here, it's not a big deal, dad. It's not a big deal. Everyone's going, it's not a big deal. Tell your dad to quit panicking. Tell your mom, dad, to quit panicking. And so as the days came on, we were going, get out of there. And they're like, the Floridians, I don't care what the Floridians say. Floridian wasn't even a terminology that I had in my vocabulary until you went there, and you're not a Floridian. You're different than them. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. And so she was like, yeah, they're just, and so she had a, she has a roommate, but her and her roommate met a really great young gal. She's 30, great single young gal there that is a Floridian. And finally she gets on the phone. She goes, Mr. Peterson, let me just tell you, I am personally going to take care of your daughter and her roommate, Jess. I am personally going to see that they're safe. We have this plan in place to go to Largo. Largo's in Florida. I don't care. Where's, give me another location. And she goes, well, we have that plan if this is what it is. But if they're saying it's this, we're going to go to here. And I said, that's still Florida. And I said, what's your plan if you're, you, I said, what's the, they said, well, my, my parents have a second home, must be rough. My parents have a second home in South Carolina. We're going to go to Somerville or, or Charleston, California. I said, that's the plan I want to hear. That's the plan I like. And so they still hadn't made that plan. And Monday came along and uh, they, they were debating this plan, but then all of a sudden they canceled the rest of the week. They canceled Tuesday through Friday. And it was such a relief to us to hear them say, guess what, we're going to South Carolina. 
Now, we didn't like it. They were driving through the night. They left at 10 o'clock Monday night and got there at 6 o'clock in the morning. We didn't sleep that well that night. Slept great the rest of the week. But you know what it all came down to? The Floridians. It was like nothing's going to happen. This happens all the time. We always get these watches. We always get these warnings. And nothing ever happens. But it only has to happen once. And you just can lull yourself to sleep. And worse than lulling yourself to sleep over a hurricane is spiritually being lulled to sleep. And where our love just grows cold. And we just begin to go on autopilot. And we don't do those things. Now, again, this isn't about earning our salvation. Christ is our salvation. Only faith in him is our salvation. But if we want to be spiritually alive, there is... A, a place in our part that needs to take place. Daily fuel and regular maintenance. And so t- we are talking about vintage faith really being about vintage practices. Practices that have been tried and true for Christians for centuries. Last week, Pastor, uh, Pastor Nate did an awesome job of sharing how authentic community is one of those, authentic Christian community is one of those practices that we need one another. There's no Lone Ranger Christians. We weren't meant to go it alone because we, we fall down, we mess up, we need people to pick us up. Proverbs is really is a great, uh, has some great uh, uh, wisdom in telling us that, you know, we're going to fall down, but pity the person who has no one to help them pick them up. Where you have two people, you have someone to help pick you up, and where you have three, three strands are not easily broken. We were meant for authentic community. We're meant for the church on Sundays. We're meant in life groups on, during the week. We're meant to be together. We're not meant to go it alone. Today's habit is biblical engagement. So we're hitting seven habits of effective Christians. Excuse me. Today's habit is talking about biblical engagement. Now, if you've grown up in the church like I did, you've heard this, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Why is it important to read our Bible? Because we can't love someone that we don't know. We can't love our spouse if we're not in, in a relationship and, and, and investing in that relationship. We can't, we can't love our coworkers. We can't, we can't love our classmates. We can't love those around us if we don't know them. It's so easy to tune people out. We don't know. But when we know someone, and the way that we know God is through his word. It's one of the ways that we get to know God. Some of it comes through God and his people. Some of it, obviously, is the Holy Spirit. But one of the main things is biblical engagement. And so this morning, our knowledge of God is our daily fuel for knowing God. And it's being in a, you wouldn't think that you're going to have any effective relationship and meet together once a year. Or have a, a relationship with your spouse and say, hey, let's just meet on Sundays. Is that good for you? It's good for me? Let's just meet on Sunday. You, you, it, there, there has to be an engagement. And Peter tells of this importance, and it's an essential foundation to the Christian faith to growing in Christ is biblical engagement. His divine power, Peter said, has given us everything we need for a godly life. Or what we're saying, to be spiritually alive. God has given us everything that we need. And I know there might be some who are thinking or some who are watching that are going, uh, I don't know about that. Maybe that works for you, pastor, or maybe that works for pastors, or maybe that works for others, but... I don't know that God's given me everything that I need. God has given us. It doesn't say God has given Kent everything he needs. God has, by his divine power, has given us everything we need for a godly life through the knowledge of him. That's where we're going to spend a lot of our time today. Through our knowledge of him who called us 
by his own glory and goodness. We can't love that which we don't know. For this reason, he goes on to say, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And I want to, again, I want to emphasize, this is not about work salvation or earning our salvation. The only way that you and I can please God is by faith. Abraham pleased God because he trusted in God. The scripture is very clear. It says that the only way to please God is by faith. That's the only thing that pleases God. If you're trying to do it by being good, you're going to fall short because our goodness falls short of the glory of God. But add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And so today we're starting with that. Um, some of you that maybe took an intro to psychology class and you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And uh, nothing wrong with that. I think there's some true principles to that. And it goes to self-actualization. The best coach that ever lived, and I'm not a UCLA fan, but my favorite coach ever is John Wooden. And John Wooden had his pyramid of success. Long before John Wooden had a pyramid of success, which has its limitations, long before Maslow's hierarchy had his, his pyramid, uh, which has its limitations, Peter, I think, came up with the first pyramid. And it is so he didn't, he didn't draw it, but he gives it to us in a word picture. He said to this, and I, let me give you the scriptures first of, of verses 5 through 9. Let me back up, maybe do those scriptures real quick. Sorry about that. I'm just having you go all over the place. For this very reason, I, was, I went to school back before they diagnosed ADD. I'm pretty sure I have it, just undiagnosed. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. You remember when you first came to Christ? For those of you that came to Christ, what changed? You wanted to be good. You wanted to do, and I believe, honestly, before you come to Christ, everyone wants to be good. I had a good friend that came to Jesus in college, or right before he we went to college, and I, and I was asking what he was thinking about before, before he met Jesus. He goes, I just kept asking God, God, I just want to be good. I just want to be good. And that's such a frustration because we can't be good in and of ourselves. We fall short of that goodness. So we're not trying to be good to earn God's favor. We're, we, we learn to be good because we have God's favor. And there's a difference. So add to your faith goodness. And to goodness knowledge is where we're talking about today. And to knowledge self-control. And to self-control perseverance. And to perseverance godliness. And to godliness mutual affection. And a mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, if you keep working on this, and no one's going to do this perfectly, but if you don't give up on this, if there's one thing I think the enemy wants to do in our lives, he just wants us to quit. He just wants us to give up. If he can get us to give up on our relationship with God, on our relationship with others, if he can get us to just give up, then he's one. But as long as we don't give up, if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So long before there was John Wooden and Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I believe this was outlined. If you put this in pyramid form, it would be this. Faith. Faith. Faith is our foundation. Faith is our foundation. Everything starts and ends with faith in Christ. We don't have anything. We don't have a relationship with God without faith. All these other things are great, but 
the, 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 the foundation, the widest part is faith. Add to your faith goodness. We just talked about that. And again, we're goodness, sometimes people try to build their, their life on goodness. And they're trying to earn God's favor. No, we come, we get God's favor by his grace and his mercy, by receiving it, by accepting it. And then he helps us to want to do good and to, and to be good. And then we add to our faith goodness and the goodness knowledge. And, and knowledge is so important in getting to know God and getting to know, to know him so we know how much he loves us and that we can grow our love for him. But that knowledge, that helps us lean towards helping us grow in this next area, which is self-control. Anybody hate this one besides me? Anybody get tripped up on this one besides me? Am I the only one raising my hand? You don't have to raise your hand. This isn't like one of those things everyone has. Self-control. Man, we just get that and instantly I'm discouraged. Instantly we see that and we think of Paul's words who says, why do I do the things that I don't want to do and why don't I do the things that I know I should do and vice versa? Why do I, why do, I do the things that I hate and why do I hate the things that I do? Why is it that we do that? What, what do we do with that? Do we just quit and give up? Some people will just quit and give up on God's best for their life and they'll just say, you know what, this can't happen. So I'm just going to go back to faith. Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving of my sins, which is wonderful and which is good and which is true. But we're missing God's best for us when we just give up. Are we going to, are we going to achieve this perfectly on this side of heaven? No. Not till we get to, to be with him. But is it something that we give up on? No, as well. We, we have faith that helps us, that's going to grow in our goodness and our knowledge. Knowledge that gives us scriptures 1 Corinthians 10, 13 was one of the first verses someone taught me to memorize. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. What's the lie of the devil? You're the only one battling this temptation. He likes to isolate you and, feel, and shame you and make you feel like you're the only one. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. Not we are faithful. God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But here's where we fall short. But when you are tempted, he'll provide a way of escape so that you can stand up underneath it. God provides a way of escape, but we don't always take that way of escape. We're we're told in Scripture to flee temptation. Don't engage in temptation, but to flee temptation. We don't always do that. We we engage it. We allow ourselves. So it's a battle that we we run into, that we're to to flee temptation. But don't give up on the self-control. Don't, don't get here and go, I'm just going to go back to, to faith and, okay, I'm just going to grow in my knowledge of God. I'm just going to grow in my knowledge. Knowledge is good. In fact, let's come back to this. I know I'm taking you everywhere, but I want you to know this. The more you know, we'll come back to this. The more you know, the more you can grow. It's one of the principles of this teaching today is the more we know, the more we can grow. That's true of anything. The more we know, the more knowledge we have, the more we can grow. But I want to give a caveat. I want to give a disclaimer, and it's James 1.22 that says, Do not be deceived. Do not merely listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they knew the Scriptures. They knew the Torah. They had the first five books of the, of the Bible memorized. They knew it backwards and forward. They knew the 600 and something laws. They knew it backwards and forwards. But they didn't do what the Word said. They did the outward appearance things. But the, the thing that mattered most to, to Christ was love. And they didn't have love in their hearts. 
They, they, didn't, they, they knew the word, but they were deceiving themselves. They didn't do what it says. So we can, let's go back to the pyramid. We can get stuck on the knowledge, and some Christians get stuck here. And they're in a Bible study every single day of the week, and twice on Sundays. And they have all this knowledge, but they're deceiving themselves because they're not applying it. They're not, they're not allowing God to work and, and to live that out. You have to exercise your knowledge or you'll become spiritually obese. I was telling the first service, this wasn't in my notes, probably dangerous, but because when I get on way of my notes, my wife gets nervous. Um, she's not here in this service, so there's nothing to be nervous about. She's getting ready for the shower um, today. So there is a... There's two sizes of pants and shoes, and not shoes, two sizes of shirts and two sizes of pants that I have in my closet. It doesn't seem no matter how much weight I gain or, or lose, my feet stay the same size. Um, but I have, I have different size shirts, different size pants. It's my winter wardrobe and it's my summer wardrobe. And, and that comes into play when I'm eating but not exercising, when I'm not doing something to exercise my faith. I mean, exercise my body. Or I'm consuming, but I'm not exercising out. And even more so in our spiritual life, when we just consume, when we just fill our lives with, with the Bible and fill our lives with church and we don't exercise our faith, we don't do what the Word says, we're just deceiving ourselves. We're meant to grow. And there's, this is going to be a battle that we're going to fight till we're to heaven. But it's a battle worth fighting because God wants you to have victory in your life. He doesn't want you to save you from sin. He wants to help you get victory over sin. But it is a process. When we mess up, where do we, we go back to our faith. 1 John 1, 9 says, if, if we confess our sins, God is faithful to forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. When we mess up, we have a place to go to. We go back to our foundation. We go back to our faith. It's his righteousness, not our righteousness that saves us. It's not our goodness. It's his goodness that saves us. But we do add to our knowledge, and that knowledge helps us grow in our self-control. And our self-control, obviously, perseverance. There's a lot of persevering to the Christian faith. The devil wants you to give up. The enemy wants you to give up. Just don't give up. Just don't quit. If you just don't quit, you're going to win. You're going to be on the victorious side. So you add your self-control perseverance. To perseverance, you add, if I remember right, mutual affection. No, godliness. That we, we want to be, become more like God. We won't be God, but God wants us to be a representation of who he is. And we add to godliness mutual affection. Mutual affection is what's going on in here. It, it's when we love one another, those who are think like us, act like us, love like us. Uh, yes, we have conflicts that we have to work out. It's not perfect. You have to work on that brotherly love, that mutual affection. But the ultimate is love itself. That's where God wants to get us to. He wants us to grow in this foundation, to grow in our faith, to add to it goodness, add to it knowledge, to continue to work that self-control out, asking for help. When we mess up, go back to faith, but continue to build this up to the place that we love. And what does that love mean? It's an agape love. It's a godly love. Now, I got myself in trouble in the first service. Uh, three words, eros love, which is uh, more of a erotic type love. And the world does that. And in certain contexts of marriage, it's not bad. Then there's a phileo love, that's, that's a brotherly love, that's this mutual affection, but God wants us to have his agape love. That's the ultimate, that's the top. 
When we love because he first loved us, when we love the way that he's loved us, when we forgive others because he's forgiven us, when we, when we, when we give people some slack because God's given us a lot of slack, that's, that's what we're after is this faith is only as good as when it results in the love that God wants us to have for the world, for our enemies. God calls us not to just love those who like us and think like us. He wants us to love our enemies and those who don't think like us, who don't believe like us, who don't claim to be Christians or to follow us, that even actually might be against us. He calls us to a different standard. He calls us to love. So how do we grow in this? And I'm going to land the plane here. And today was about knowledge. Last week was about authentic community. But a way that we grow our faith is growing in our knowledge. And knowledge needs to work itself out. But nonetheless, you have to grow in your knowledge. So in your notes today that you received when you came in, I want to give you a, a, a quick application for how we can grow in this knowledge that's going to help us in this. Number one, set a time. If we just set a time and then set a place, maybe it's for you in the morning. It's like, I'm going to set a time when I, my feet first hit the floor. I'm going to take some time to spend time with God. I'm going to take some time to pray. I'm going to take some time to read the Word. Uh, maybe the place is... Now, when Heather and I do this together, our place is in the living room with a cup of coffee. I should have added a, a thing. We need a set of time, set a place. And then make it practical and make it repeatable. If we want to grow in the knowledge of God, if we want to grow in the knowledge in our relationship and we're interested in following Jesus, being more like him, this is something that's just set a time, set a place, make it practical and make it repeatable. So maybe you grew up in a church or maybe you grew up in the church and you heard someone say, spend an hour with God every day. Spend an hour with him, spend an hour in your Bible and spend an hour in prayer. Jesus spent an hour. Jesus said, you know, can't you just hang out with me an hour and pray with me? And so we, we take all these things and then after day two, we're like, I'm done, I'm out, can't do this. So I've been reading a book that's a secular book called Atomic Habits. And this is something that I'm going to try out in a different way. Is It says set your habits and set them small. Set a time that you'll do it. Set a place that you'll do it. Make it practical. Make it repeatable. So this week, your pastor is going to get more physically fit. And he's not going to exercise for an hour every day. He's not going to work out for an hour every day. He's committed himself to this incredible goal of one push-up every morning when he gets out of bed. You laugh, and it is funny, because you think, one push-up, wow, how ambitious are you? One push-up every morning, but here's the deal. When you do one push-up, sometimes those one push-up turns into five push-ups or 10 push-ups. Maybe someday it'll turn into 20 push-ups. I don't know what, but, but here's what happens. Then there's days you don't feel like doing it all, but you say to yourself, I set the time, I set the place, it's practical, I'm just, all I can do is a push-up today. I'm going to do my push-up and be done. And maybe you end up doing a few more or whatever. Same thing spiritually. When you set a time, you, make it, uh, you set a place, make it practical, make it repeatable. So I've given you a couple of these tools before. Every once in a while, I know there's new people that come to church or you forget my message. I can't believe that many times you forget my messages by Monday morning. It's kind of offensive. But here's, here's something I've shared with you before. Uh, first of all, I encourage you if you're married, to have devotions with your wife or with your husband. It doesn't have to be long. Heather doesn't have a lot of time in the mornings. 
Um, she is busy getting ready for school, but we take a little bit of time in the morning, and our habit that's re practical, repeatable, is the Bible app. So many of you, there's like 500 million people on the planet now that have the Bible app. And you just get the Bible app on your phone. There's a verse of the day. We read the verse of the day together. Then there's a little, per some person, a little person. I mean, they're in a little thing like that. And, and they, they share about that verse. And we listen to what they share about it. And then there's a short little devotional. In all, it takes about five minutes from beginning to end to do this. And then it just leads us to a time of praying for one another. And it's not long. Sometimes it goes longer than others just depending on how the day is going. But it's just a something simple that's repeatable. So that's, that's if you're married. I want to encourage you because the couple that prays together stays together. And, and it can be kind of awkward and hard and stuff. At the beginning. But if you just say, hey, we're going to do this for a couple minutes and let that be your guide, the, the, uh, the Bible app. This is another app called Through the Word. And I think this is a great app for it, the, the whole purpose and the whole goal and the mission of this organization is one chapter a day through the Word. One chapter a day, one chapter at a time through the Word. So if you have 250 times throughout the year and 365 days that you do this, you'll have read 250 chapters. Then there's a commentary that takes about seven to eight minutes that you listen to. You can do this while you're putting makeup on. I mean, you can, you can listen to that, that commentary, and it's a way to get the Word. And I'm telling you, every time I listen to Through the Word, there's always something on the commentary that I go, I never thought of that before. I have never considered that. There's just people give you different perspectives, and it's a great way. And, and you don't have to like this. Can I be honest with you today? My oldest, Reagan, she says, that guy's voice drives me nuts. I can't do it, Dad. Find something else. Find something else. This, this is just one tool, not the tool. But find something that helps you set a time, set a place, that makes it practical and repeatable so you're not going. And, and you never know, that time with the Lord may turn into more time, and other times it'll just be a short time, but it'll help you start healthy habits, vintage habits that will help you grow in your faith. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your church. Thank you for every person in this room, every person watching online. Lord, I believe that you want each and every one of us to become spiritually alive, to be vibrant in our spiritual life. Lord, our physical bodies are going to decline. Our, our finances are going to go up and down. Uh, our business, our, our sports, or our sports teams, whatever, those things, they, they come and go. But Lord, you want us to become spiritually alive and to grow spiritually. And one of those things is what Pastor Nate talked about last week, about authentic Christian community, being together uh, and, and challenging and encouraging each other in our relationship with you. But Lord, a very practical one is you've given us your word. It's your love letter to us. You've given us an instruction manual. You've given us a way to, to understand who you are and to, to know you better. So, Lord, I just pray that you would help us not to make this harder than it needs to be. But if we'll just start with a simple step to set a time, set a place, make it practical and make it repeatable, the compounding interest of spending time with you, oh, what we could be a year from now if we just did this one thing in our lives. And, and made you intentionally a part of what we are and who we are. Lord, we love you today. Thank you for 
your church. Thank you for everyone that's here. Thank you for everyone that's watching online. Help us, Lord, as we go through this week. and Bring us back together so we can learn more about you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you guys. Uh, if you'll just stand, you're dismissed. Give three people a fist bump before you leave, and we'll see you next Sunday. <laughs>